If you'd like to borrow a Bible to follow along with us in the passage this morning, just raise your hand. Ushers will bring you a Bible. You can just leave it in the pew when you are done. Glad you're here this morning on this holiday weekend. Good to see some of the visitors here. Glad you're here. Uh, maybe you're just in town. Maybe you're new to town, checking um, out different variety of churches. We're glad that you're here. We want to encourage you. This morning is kind of a, a hard morning. Um, before we look at the passage, I just want to tell you straight up, it, it is a hard passage to accept. <laughs> it's like you and I have this agreement, don't we, right? It's uh, my role to tell you hard things that Jesus says, and for the most part, you don't like it, but you know that it's good. Yeah? Because we want the truth from Jesus. And sometimes when Jesus speaks, you're like, Jesus, wow, you're just blowing us away. And at first, it's hard. And this morning's a very hard passage to accept, but we're going to preach it. And we want to accept it. And we want to live it by God's grace because there, this is where the joy is at. Right here is where the joy truly is at. So let's turn to Matthew 16. We're going to look at Matthew 16, 21 through 28. And we are just simply going through the book of Matthew. And this is what is come up next. Uh, if you remember the context, if you were here last week at all, last week was the context. Peter hit this high point. He proclaimed that Jesus was the Messiah. It was a divine revelation. Good job, Peter. Home run, Grand Slam. Awesome. This week, not so good for Peter. He totally blows it. So Jesus is going to explain, this is what it means to be the Messiah, and this is what it means to follow the Messiah. So let's stand up and read. I'll read it to you. Matthew 16, starting in verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whatever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his life? Or what shall a man give in return for his life or soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will pay each person according to what he has done. Truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. You may be seated. Peter and Jesus having opposing agendas. Peter has one agenda for Jesus, and Jesus has another agenda for Jesus. 
and it leads me to ask this question of you. You're going to think this is a crazy, far-out question, but are you ready? What is your agenda for God? I mean, you may may think there's a, a more helpful question would be, what is God's agenda for me? Of course, that's a more helpful question. But I don't even think we are even ready to even ask that question until we realize that a lot of us have an agenda for God. We have God's agenda for our life, don't we? And obviously, it's, 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 a, it's a hidden agenda. We wouldn't out, come out front and just say it or speak it too, too often. It's hidden. But we all have these certain ways, like Peter, that we want our lives to play out. And we impose this agenda upon God. And, and whether you speak it or not, you, you may think things like, okay, God, this is what I want. I want almost a trouble-free life. Amen? almost trouble-free life, and I want to follow you, Jesus, on the path, but I want the path to be safe, I want it to be secure, and I want it to be predictable. So if you can give me those things, that's my agenda for you, um, I'm putting upon you, and I, and I hope that you can figure it out and, and work that out for me. Thank you. And you never say that. But, but what do you do? When God doesn't go along with your agenda, what do you do? When things aren't so safe for you, they're not so predictable, life is not so easy, and these things are starting to fall through as you expected them, and, and things are just a, a mess. Well, what do you do? I mean, how many of you pull a Peter and start rebuking God? Maybe some of you do. But for the most part, we respond with just maybe just frustration, anger, depression, maybe you get filled with anxiety. But for the most part, when things aren't going the way that we have opposed our agenda upon God, a lot of us just flat out shut down. And I know that there are some of you here this morning who have shut down. But maybe, just maybe, God is messing up your agenda for him because he's trying to get your attention. He's trying to bring you to a place in your life where you're undone, and you can truly say, okay, God, I lay it all down, and you can say, what is your agenda for me? So that's where we're going to go. We're going to try to chop up our agenda for God, throw it away, get to a point where we say, okay, God, whatever, what's your agenda? I think both are right here in this text. So let's just go through it. Let's check it out, starting in verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Okay, here is God's agenda. It is very clear. Jesus, he's got to go to Jerusalem and he's going to suffer many things. He's going to be rejected by the most prominent leaders in Israel. Those people who are expecting the Messiah are actually going to kill the Messiah. He's going to be buried, but praise God, after three days later, he's going to rise again, and that is God's good agenda. And it is a good agenda because it's our salvation, because he died upon the cross, bearing the wrath of God for our sin, and by faith in Christ, we are forgiven, we are declared righteous, and we will have eternal life. Sin cannot take us out, death cannot take us out, and Satan cannot take us out. So when we see Jesus talking about his suffering and death, 
On this side of the cross, we rejoice. Praise God. He has saved us. This is the gospel agenda. A suffering Messiah is the gospel agenda. And in the gospel agenda of God, we rejoice. But Peter, oh, Peter, has another agenda. Verse 22. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. (laughs) So a suffering Messiah is not on Peter's agenda. He, He may know lots of verses in the Old Testament about a conquering Messiah, and there's a lot of verses speaking about that. But the verses on a suffering Messiah, he must have totally just overlooked that because Peter, I think, has it all planned out. Okay, he's going to follow Jesus. Jesus is going to work some miracles. Perhaps we're eventually going to lead to a point where we can overthrow the Romans. We can get back control of our land and set up maybe a peace on this earth. And Peter's thinking, I get to be a huge part of the new order. I'm excited about this. That is my agenda. I assume that's where we're going. And and Jesus is messing it up. So what Peter does is he rebukes Jesus. Make a mental note to yourself. Not a good idea to rebuke God, all right? Not a good idea. So Peter goes after Jesus, and Jesus is not going to take it. He goes off on Peter. Look what he says, verse 23. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So somehow, I don't understand how it works, Satan infiltrated Peter's way of thinking in his mind, and the rebuke of Satan was aimed at Peter. And so Jesus says, look, you're a hindrance to me. And that word hindrance literally means stumbling block. So just last week, Jesus is saying, you're the rock, Peter, because Peter means rock. You're the rock. I'm going to build my church on this rock. And now he's saying, you're a stumbling rock. You're a stumbling stone because you're trying to thwart my mission. My mission is one of suffering for the sins of, of sinners around the world. You're trying to thwart that. You're a stumbling block. Get behind me. Because Peter was thinking the things of men. And in the course of those thoughts, Satan was using him to tempt Jesus away from his course of suffering. And just to be straight up, you know what Peter's trying to do? Peter is trying to play God. Peter's trying to say how things are supposed to be. And when you try to play God, it's satanic. I don't know how, any other way to say it, but when, we, when we're trying to set the agenda for God, we're trying to tell God the way things must happen. Something's happening. I, from the deceiver, he's getting into our lives, getting into our thoughts somehow, making us acting on our own natural impulses. I don't know how all it works, but it seems like Satan and his demons are somehow behind us when we're trying to play God. When we're trying to say, God, we want comfort, we want safety, we want protection, and we don't want risk, and if if you can't give us that, then we have issues with you. Satan is in there somewhere. When I was about, probably about 12 years ago, I met with this very wise man, and I was having some struggles in my life. I was dealing with some issues, and I guess you could say he was a counselor of sorts 
uh, I think he would call himself that. He's a very wise old man. And he, and, he, and he looked at me and he said, I know you're having a lot of problems in your life. But he said, ask yourself this question. And here's the question. Have I put myself back on the throne as a little God? Oh, that's a good question, huh? And so I'll ask you, have you put yourself back on the throne as a little God? See, all of us who are believers in here would claim Jesus is our Lord. We would claim it doctrinally from the Bible, but sometimes he's not functionally Lord over our lives. We are. And so it's a good question to ask periodically, have I put myself back on the throne of my life as a little God where I'm trying to set the agenda for everything that happens? Because the reality is, is that we want Jesus to be Lord of our lives. We love him. He knows his best of us. And when things are not going the way we expect it, we want to say, okay, Lord, whatever you want to do, I trust you, I submit to you, I give my heart to your agenda. You stay Lord over my life. Because the reality is, your agenda is faulty. God's agenda is all that matters. We don't have everything figured out. We're not sovereign. Our agendas are faulty. God's agenda is the only one that matters. What what I think is at the heart of Peter's objection in this passage, and I think what Peter is really starting to understand and the realization is starting to come through, is Peter is starting to get that the kind of Messiah that Jesus is is going to impact his life. And if Jesus is a suffering Messiah, then it seems that if that's where he's going, that those who follow him are going to have to suffer as well. Do you get this? That if you are a believer in Jesus, when you repent and trust in Christ, you have your sins forgiven. But it also has implications for discipleship. We are not just saved from our sins because we prayed a prayer or or walked an aisle and say, well, I'm good. No, you now follow. There's implications for discipleship. And it seems that what Jesus is saying is that you come this direction, you come after me, it's not going to all be a life of ease and comfort and peace and predictability. And Peter is starting to get it. All right, so here's the question you get asked now. We've moved on from our agenda, so none of us have agendas anymore, right? None of us have agendas for God anymore. We've totally destroyed that. We've chopped that up. It's faulty. We're ready to receive God's agenda. Well, I hope we're at least we're at a spot to ask. Okay, God, what's your agenda for me? All right, here's God's agenda for us in verse 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross follow me. You want to follow Jesus? If you're trying to learn about Jesus, maybe you're new to investigating Christianity. Maybe you're here this morning investigating Jesus. One of his, his calls to you is to deny yourself. And in the past when I thought about the word deny myself, it meant that I have to deny myself my own passions and longings and desire to be control over my life. I need to throw that aside, and I need to submit to the lordship of Christ. And, and repentance is part of the idea of denying yourself. But let's get really, really specific from this passage. 
This is a passage talking about Peter wanting to remain control of his life, of his safety, of, of going to victory on this earth the first time around with Jesus. That's the context, right? And Jesus says, no, denying yourself means this. Denying yourself means that you're forsaking this idea of self-preservation. This idea where you're going to try to control your life to preserve it and remain safe. And you're going to say, okay, Jesus, I'm going to follow you and I'm willing to go to death. I'm going to follow you wherever it means. Whatever happens, I'm going you all the way. If it's death, we're going to death. So it's, it's, it's about denying yourself, getting away from this natural desire of self-preservation and being willing to risk your life for Jesus. Jesus is calling us, I mean, unless I am totally whacked out in interpreting this passage, Jesus is calling us to turn away from safety, step out, and follow him. Whatever that means, wherever he goes. And you think, well, it, 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 no, it can't mean that. He can't mean that. Well, well, look what he says next. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Last time I checked, the cross has to do with death. And when we take up our cross, we are taking up and carrying an instrument of death. And I don't know what you were taught growing up in your church, but, but bearing a cross or, or carrying a cross doesn't have to do with your sore back. It, it doesn't have to do with maybe a dead-end job. Taking up the cross means that you're following Jesus. You're submitting to him. And you're willing to go with him all the way to his death. If that is what is required of you, you will submit to him completely. Where Jesus and his agenda for you is being willing to risk your life and following him. And there's no other way. There's really no other way. I'm not saying that you need to go out of here and have someone kill you right away. That's not what I'm getting at. But it's saying, abandon all, follow me. I'm going to a place of suffering and death. You've got to be willing to risk it all and follow me. I have no other interpretation here. I don't know what else to do with it. It's in the context of Peter trying to save his life. And Jesus is saying, no, no, quit it. Come on, follow me. Risk it all for me. There is a, an inner city church. And one of the requirements of uh, the church and the staff and the pastors and the elders, even the elders, is they have to live in the area where the church is in the inner city in order to minister to the people who live there. And so as a pastor of this church, he would interview potential staff. And he said the most frustrating thing to this pastor over the years as he was interviewing potential staff is that people would always over and over again ask up front this question. Will my family be safe? And he said it frustrated him so much. He said at least make it the tenth question, not the first question. But that's how we function. It's like, if, I, will my family be safe? Because if they're going to be safe, then it must be God's will. And if they're not going to be safe, it must not be God's will because I, I need a life of safety. And I don't, I don't know where you get that. I don't know how that's possible. Jesus is saying, come on, let's go. Follow me. 
all the way. And you may die. And if you're new to Christianity, if you're new to investigating Jesus, you may want to raise your hand and say, why in the world would I want in on that? You're like, that is a ridiculous message. Jesus' message is come and die. You're like, excuse me, but am I missing something here? (laughs) Why would we want that? What would be your motivation to follow Jesus today? What would be your motivation to want to follow him? If that's, that's come and die. Well, he's not done. He has some more to say, some motivations of following him. Why you want to live this way? Look at verse 25. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So I guess he's saying if you're sinfully trying to hold on to your life, Peter, well, you're going to lose it for eternity. But if you lose your life because of faithfulness to Jesus, following him, then you'll, you'll save it. And I, I guess, look at it this way. It's only through Jesus and faith in him and his righteousness can we stand before the Father one day, right? It's only through faith in Christ can we be accepted by the Father. It's not about works. But if we decide that we want to abandon Jesus, go our own way and our own agenda, then we, we, we don't have his righteousness as ours through faith. We've, we've thrown it away because we, we've set off on our own agenda and in the end will ultimately be lost. And yet, that's, he's our righteousness. He's our value. He's our treasure before the throne of God. But if we, so we don't want to run away. We want to embrace him. We want to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow him. And, and why? Because that's the only way to eternal life. You're saying the only way to eternal life is to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus? Yes. This is what faith does. We're saved by faith alone, but faith expresses itself in following Jesus wherever he leads. It's an expression of faith. So it saves our lives through faith and following Christ. Look at the second thing, verse 26, another motivation. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? What's the answer to that? No profit at all. Next question, or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Answer, nothing. There'll be no profit at all if we forsake the agenda of God, go on our own agenda, try to accumulate all this stuff for our safety, for our happiness. The world has so much to offer and, he, and Jesus is saying there is no profit. If you've abandoned him to, forsake, to pursue the world, then you, you will lose and forfeit your soul. So rather than go after the treasure of the world, we must go after the true treasure, Jesus Christ, and find that in him is our lasting treasure. So why do you want to follow Jesus? Well, it's the only way to have eternal life. Why would you want to take up your cross and follow him? Well, because he's the only treasure And the third thing is, a a judgment is coming. Look at verse 27. For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will pay each person according to what he has done. So Jesus is depicted as the sovereign and reigning Son of Man. This is actually from the book of Daniel, Daniel 7, 13, and 14. So Jesus is the divine Son of Man. Jesus who came to this earth 
And did you know in this passage, it says that Jesus, that the Father's angels are his. You see that? He'll come with his angels, his angels. And the Father's glory is his as well. So Jesus is the divine Son of Man, Son of God, and he will come back and he will judge each of us according to what we have done. Now, I know sometimes you may get confusing, confused, as I often do when I read the Gospels and I read other portions of the New Testament and you say, well, I thought we're saved by grace through faith alone and Christ alone. We are. We are saved by, by grace alone, through faith alone and in Christ alone. But this faith is not alone. It acts. It expresses itself. It, it moves forward. Forward. It takes up our cross. It denies ourselves. It follows Jesus. And there is a judgment coming. The Son of Man is coming back in power. And when he comes back, will he find us as people who pressed on in faith, pressed on to follow Christ, or are we the ones who have said, no, Jesus, I'm going after the world. I'm going after another agenda. I'm turning away. What will he find when he comes back? Will he find his church persevering? Will he find you persevering? And this has got to be an encouraging text for some of you who are just enduring some awful hardships being connected with Christ right now, that there is coming vindication for you one day. And look at the last motivation. It's in verse 28. So why would he want to take up our cross to follow Christ? Because it saves our lives. He's our treasure. A judgment's coming. And the last one in verse 28 is glory. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So Jesus tells his disciples that some of them are not going to die before they see him coming in, in sovereign power and into his kingdom. What in the world does that mean? Anybody want to give it a shot? Uh, it's, it's a difficult verse to understand. Some have said it refers to the second coming of Jesus. I don't understand how they get that one because some will not die before that happens. Um, some say it refers to Jesus in his glory and his resurrected state. Others have said maybe it has to do with the Holy Spirit or the, the growth of the church. Or, and there's some other alternatives. Now, I'm going to give it my best shot. What I think is going on here is, once again, the context what comes after this verse is something called the transfiguration. That's next week, where, where Jesus goes up on this mountain with some of his disciples, three of them, and it's with Peter, James, and John, and his face shines like the sun, and his clothes be- become white as light, and Peter, James, and John see Jesus in this glorified state. So maybe that's what he's getting at here, that some of them will not die. They're about to see him in this glorified state. And in the future, Christ is going to come back full force glory in his second coming. But they are getting the taste of it before it happens. So you just follow me. Why would you want to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow Jesus? Well, you're going to be with him in glory. You're going to be with him, the glorious one, the all-powerful one the exalted Son of Man, Son of God, the Sovereign One. You get to share in His glory for all eternity. I I think Jesus is giving enough motivations to His disciples and to us that He is our treasure. He is our joy. He is worth sacrificing 
everything this world has to offer, even our very lives, because we want our treasure. We want to be with him. He is of extreme value. So, God's agenda, all that matters. And one time, uh, for those of you who had an opportunity to repent and believe in Jesus, there was a time in your life where you saw this so clearly. He opened your eyes to see a greater agenda than yours. You, you turned from your sins and you, and you put your faith in Jesus Christ and you were forgiven. And you see clearly that his agenda is, is, is perfect. But, but sometimes it gets a little blurry. And, and when it gets a little blurry, we need to say, okay, have I put myself back on the throne as a little God? Am I trying to exert my agenda over God again? And we've got to say, no, and repent of that and exalt him as my Lord. This is a very intense passage. And when I, when, I, when I think about it and when I preach it, in fact, this is the third time I've preached it at EBF, not the one in Matthew. We went through the book of Mark. I preached it in Mark. We went through it again um, during Prelude to Revival, and it, keeps, and it came up again. So it keeps coming up to me, and every time it comes up, it's, it's a challenge to me because I know the way it comes across can be, can be really um, hard, and yet there's so much treasure and grace and, and joy in, in living this life of risk, this life of forsaking uh, safety. Uh, in about two weeks... The undergrads from Northwestern will come back to our church. I, I see some undergrads right now here, a few of you from Northwestern. Uh, there's some other undergrads here right now from, from uh, other schools. But in two weeks, the undergrads from Northwestern will come back. And I like being a, a, around undergrad students because for the most part, they're fired up and they're ready to risk it all for Jesus. Just last night, uh, some of our our missionaries. I know some of you went to Berlin this summer. Who went to Berlin this summer? Can you raise your hand? Yeah, if you went to, some of you are here. So I got this newsletter last night, I think from the Davises, and we were, my family, we were watching these YouTube videos of the students who went to Berlin uh, on a summer project with Crusade to share the gospel and to basically risk their lives for Christ in, in some sense. And I was just getting so excited. I was like, ooh, that's just exciting, just the way they're talking about risk, sticking it out. It's hard, and yet this is good, being filled and led by the Spirit. And I'm like, whoa, that's so cool. Can, can I go? Uh, I want in on the action. Can I, will you let me in, please? And, and it just seems so, so exciting. But let me tell you something. As I get older, you can see my gray hair. As I get older, I, I kind of want to uh, settle down into a life of ease and find some comfort and predictability. And I see this passage here in Matthew we just studied, and I think, well, this is for the undergrads. <laughs> this is for those people who, they're younger Maybe they, just, they don't know any better. <laughs> they can just stick their neck out. And they can be adventurous people. But I find myself, like, older, I just kind of want to pull away from risk. And I want to play it safe. And it, it, maybe it's a common theme among those of us who are aging. We want to play it safe. Uh, there, there, I was reading in this book about this guy who just got back from his, his college, um, uh, what's it called, reunion. 
And so he went to this college reunion, and he got to hang around all of his Christian um, friends. Maybe you've done that before, those of you going back to these college reunions. Well, he goes back to this college reunion, he's hanging around his Christian friends, and he comes back from his college reunion, he's all depressed. This is why he was depressed. This is what he said. He says, when I was in college with my Christian friends and we were all single, we used to dream about God, ministry, China, and Africa. We wanted to live for great things. Now that we are all married, it seems that we are weighed down by a desire to maintain our families and physical lives. And his, his statement really catches me because uh, Jesus is not calling us to abandon our family responsibilities. <laughs> He's not s- saying that we need to tell our family, get thee behind me. <laughs> I'm going to go risk it all for Jesus. Now, we're not, not to throw our responsibilities away, but, but I'm wondering, I'm, I'm wondering, us older folks in here, do <laughs> you think there's a place where we need to start encouraging one another to dream again? like, hey, can we actually have some dreams for Jesus? You know, when, you, when you're a student, man, you're like, whoa, let's do big things for God. And when you get old, you're like, let me change a diaper. But I'm wondering if there's a place where we can start to dream again about doing some great things for God and and, and taking risks, not for risk's sake. Since some of you are some just risky people. You just want to take all types of risks. I'm talking about risk for Jesus' sake. Not just risk for risk's sake, but just for Jesus' sake. Where we can just, because we love him, we have joy in him, and we can just step out and say, okay, Jesus, here I go. And so I've been asking the question of my life personally. What would it look like to live a life of risk for Jesus here, now? for me. And I wanted to personally share with you, this is not my pastoral duties risk. You're a pastor. You're supposed to take a risk on your job. No. This is me, person, personal Jason, okay? I want to share with you some things I think in my life where I see risk out in front of me. I see lots of potential where God can be calling me in different areas to take risks. I haven't done it yet. I mean, maybe I've done a little bit, but not much. And it's, it's kind of like it's, it's back here waiting for action. It's in my queue, so to speak. It's waiting for me to act upon. Uh, and so all I have to do is act upon it. But it's, 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 it's ready. Uh, it's a risk that's out here. So I want to share a few things in my, in my life that I may or may not do. Um, but... Uh, it's, it's out there. So let me just sh- share a few categories, and I think it can be transferable to anybody else. So these are the risks in front of me, and it falls into four categories. This is Jason in Skokie, Illinois, in his risky life. And hopefully something in your life. Number one, giving. Now, I got a call this past week from one of our missionaries. Now, he, he and his family are struggling financially as many missionaries are right now. And he was not calling because he wanted money from the church. He wanted money from me. And um, at the time, this past, I don't know, what day, Wednesday, I, I said, okay, we're not at a spot where we can do anything personally. 
And I got to the phone with him, and I was thinking to myself, is that true? Do you remember an older generation, maybe your grandparents, maybe your great-grandparents, I don't know, an older generation, when they would go to church and when they would talk about missionaries or, or, or giving, they would actually say things like, this is my money for food, but I see the need for missions, so I'm going to give it to missions and trust God to provide my food. Anybody have grandparents like that? With this crazy stuff like that. And so I'm asking you, what risk do you need to take in giving? That's a risk you can take here, no matter what you make. You can take risks in giving. Where you say, okay, Lord, it's your money anyway. Here you go. I don't know what I'm having for dinner, but I hope it's good. Hope someone in the church calls me over because I need some food. Where, where, where are those people at now that risk like that? Number two, justice, mercy. Now, this one is strange for me because this has never been in my mind. It's justice and mercy. Sometimes at night, I cannot sleep. Okay, most nights I can't sleep. And when I wake up in the middle of the night, one of the things that keeps playing over my mind over and over again is this concept of kids in other countries just totally as orphans. And what's interesting is that it's, it's weird that God has put that on my heart because I'm the last person he should be putting it on his heart because I'm, I'm, I'm going to say it nicely, I'm not a kid person. Ugh. I like my kids, I like the kids in here, but in generally, don't call me to babysit. I'm just not a kid person. But I just can't get out of my mind this, this burden to do something about kids in other countries from here. And so I've called a lot of organizations saying, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing for orphan care? What are you doing? And just trying to think, okay, how can I leverage my life from the Chicago area for orphans over there? And, and, and I've realized it's messy, and there are risks involved in different areas and different ways. And, and then God started burdening my wife and I's heart for the, the orphans in Chicago. And, and so we went to um, this foster care training in, in May, the whole month, and our eyes are so open, but it's not like an easy path. I'm, I'm going I'm to say this again really gently, but one of the, um, the teachers said, you know, some people think, oh, I got, a little, I got a little two-year-old, and I need to have my two-year-old have a little friend, so I'll go get a foster kid and bring the foster kid in to play with my little two-year-old. And this is not all foster kids at all, but she said, you know what? That foster child will eat your child in a very straightforward way. A lot of the children have gone through such abuse and so many problems and are so messed up, like we all are messed up, but in a different way. And there is a risk in stepping out there and caring for them. And so where we're at now, I'm not sure what the Lord is, is leading us to do or what direction. Is it to bring more kids in our home? Is it to stop that and, and go care for others out there or enable you to care for us? I don't know what it looks like right now. But I believe the Lord is calling all of us in the area of justice and mercy to take risk. Maybe it's with immigrants. Maybe it's with widows. Maybe it's with those who are being trafficked, even in Chicago. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's with the lonely, the abused. I don't know. But I think all of us are being called here to take risk for those who are suffering. The third area is loving our neighbors. Man, you know... There's a lot going on. If you want to just go into your, your condo or your dorm or your house and just mind your own business, you don't even understand what's going on with your neighbors. There's a lot of suffering in, in your own house, but your neighbors can be suffering. 
And there is opportunities on my block, not just one, not just two, but several, where people have a lot of issues, they're suffering greatly, and I can enter into that. But it's a risk because once you enter in and you serve those who are suffering, there is joy, but also there is suffering for you. And it's, and it's risky. And so I'm wondering, where do you need to step out? Where is God calling you to step out and minister to the people that you live by and give the gospel to and share love to? And it's risky. And the last area, you knew I was coming to this, is gospel proclamation. There are people I interact with at my kids' school on our block that I've not yet shared the gospel with, and I need to, and I want to, because I love Jesus, and I love them, and I want to step out and do it. But it's risky. They may reject us. They might may start treating my kids different. It's risky. I believe denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and following Jesus is filled with great joy, but also there's great suffering that await us but it's worth it in our treasure in Christ. So let's take our agendas, throw it away, and exalt Christ and his agenda. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you love us so much that you've called us on this great adventure where you, you have uh, given us you as our greatest treasure, who is our righteousness to stand before the throne of God. And we don't take risk because we feel like if we don't, we're going to go to hell. We take risk because we have joy in you. We are forgiven, we are redeemed, and it's expression of our life of faith. I pray for my brothers and sisters in here that you give them visions to dream again. What would it look like to step out with justice and mercy? What would it look like to step out in loving their neighbors or proclaiming the gospel to those they love or even giving of their money and of their time? What would it look like to take those risks that you would bless, that you would bring them to greater dependence upon you? Start giving us, in a sense, dreams and visions even this morning. What are the dreams and visions that you want to give us from your word, by the power of your spirit, worked out in our specific situations that would bring you the most praise and honor and glory? May we not be those who stopped dreaming and stopped wanting to step out. May we not say that was me and it was a great time in college, but college is over. May not be us who say it was a great time in our 20s, but our 20s are over. Lord, may no matter what phase of life we are in, show us what it means to step out, rely upon you, and follow you, to deny ourselves and to take up our cross. In your name we pray, amen.